0: This is an episode of the Done Deal Podcast.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Done Deal Podcast. Back for this week, I'm your host, David Harris, and with me, as always, is contributor to the fan-sided website, Morgan Dunn. Morgan, thanks for having me back after the week off.
0: Yeah, man, uh, we missed you a lot. Uh, I'm not looking forward to doing many solo podcasts, so you're going to have to uh, cease your traveling activities. Obviously, the podcast takes precedence over your job.
1: Obviously. No, you did well, man. You held down the fort like a pro. I was very impressed. <laughs>
0: it was not the easiest thing in the world, but uh, I've gotten some decent feedback from some people, so that was good.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we got a we got a pretty packed agenda, so let's jump right into it today. Um, All right. We're going to try to hit on some of the uh, just a few of the highlights from the season so far, I, I think i don't know exactly how far into the season we are, like twelve to fifteen games maybe depending on the uh, on the team so we're what uh, is we're that? if my quarter, math serves quarter me quarter right we're about a sixth probably. of the way through a quarter already yeah man, it happens fast believe. so let's yeah so let's let's jump right into um the clippers I think that's a it's a team that's sort of but on a roller coaster here to, to since the end of last season with the loss of Chris Paul and then starting the season out fresh and now with the Blake injury, let's start out with what what do you see for those Clippers now that you know Blake's down for a couple of months and they've been struggling even with him.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, heading into the season, I was a lot lower on this team than a lot of people. Um, I just didn't really like the mix of players, and I thought that Chris Paul. Did a lot more for them than people were giving him credit for. And he's got the weird playoff reputation that's mostly undeserved. But anyway, with Blake going down, I I mean, I think at this point, if I were them, I would just start looking to blow it up. And, um, you know, you've been hearing some rumblings about DeAndre Jordan being on the market, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, he can opt out of his contract this summer. But... You know, like you said, they weren't playing that well even when Blake was healthy. And he seems to get hurt every year for a couple of months. It's the annual tradition at this point. True. And, uh, you know, they lost Beverly for the year, uh, even before that. And, uh, you know, I think step one is to to trade Jordan. And then I would definitely explore trading Blake, which, you know, can't happen until January anyway for contractual reasons, but also because, you know, no one's going to really want to pay a full price for a, for an injured guy. But I mean, I think, yeah, if I were them, I would blow it up. They're not going anywhere. They're just going to, even if they, they have a late season surge, you know, what are they going to end up with? The eighth seed? I mean, that's exactly where yeah. you don't want to be. We've talked about that before.
1: Yeah, but so before we go into like sort of the blow it up or not options, I, I want to ask you about Blake Griffin. I know you've been a bit of a skeptic in the past, but he was playing some really good basketball before he got hurt here kind of, you know, more of a, you know, Chris Paul is the orchestrator, right? He's the ultimate maestro. So without him, it's yeah. been up to Blake Griffin. But what are your what is your take on him as just as a player just regardless of team? Do you like, you know, the skill set and, and what he brings to the floor?
0: Yeah, I actually was really impressed with him. Um this year I he You know, his efficiency was down a little bit as far as shooting goes. But, I mean, he was asked to do so much more and handle the ball so much more. And he actually is more skilled than I was giving him credit for in years past. And he's developed that over time. I mean, talking about when he came into the league, he was just kind of a leaper and used his athleticism to get away with whatever he wanted to. And he's definitely become a pretty complete player. I've been really impressed with his uh, facilitating and, you know... People can complain that the rebound numbers are down, but when you have DeAndre Jordan and you're asked to do all this perimeter stuff, I mean, what do you expect? Um, But I think at this point, the biggest concern with him long-term is just the injuries. It just seems to happen every year. Yeah. Whether he's punching someone in the face or spraining an MCL, uh, you know, he finds a way to miss significant chunks of time, and, you know, I think... He's a, he's a very good player, but I think that's about as high as I'm willing to go, uh, even though, I, like I said, I, I am impressed with what I saw early this season.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's been certainly stepping out his range a bit over the last yeah. maybe two to three years. He's finally starting to knock down that mid-range jumper and stepping it out to the three-point line. I'm just looking at yeah, his he's stats now. He's got, uh,
0: I think he was taking six threes a game this year yeah. before he got hurt and hitting it like a, you know a pretty decent clip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's impressive for a guy that was, he always had the look of like a confident jump shooter. There was a good shooter in there somewhere, but he never really could put it on the floor and make it happen. But this year he's really, I thought really stepped up on, on that front. So anyway, okay. So Blake Griffin aside, you're saying blow it up. And I read your great article on FanSided from Morgan this week on potential DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Jordan trade partners so so if you're the Clippers you're saying blow it up start from scratch
0: yeah I just think like that's what they should have looked to do when they traded Paul and I understand that like if they had tried to do a sign-in trade with Blake instead of just signing him out right you're not going to get full value there either so maybe this is going to end up being a better move long term but you know, signing Gallinari and stuff like that, uh, that's not going to be great long-term. He's also missed time, which is, you know, pretty standard for him too. It's just like, I understand that they were like trying to remain competitive, but we've seen this happen so many times. It's like someone loses a major piece and they they really want to be competitive and it ends up screwing them in the long term. And, you know, if they could move off of Jordan and Blake and get some young pieces... Uh, you know, and just really just start from scratch. And, you know, they'll have to keep a, some of the veterans around and on their books for a, for a few years. But I just think long-term it's the best option, especially while Blake's value is still high. I mean, I, I, there's definitely teams out there that are still going to want this guy.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's you know, it's, it's a little interesting to look back on this Clippers team, you know, over the last six years, let's say, since Chris Paul came to town. I don't, I don't know exactly when that was, but... You gotta call them a disappointment, right? They had Blake mm-hmm. Griffin, they had DeAndre Jordan, they had Chris Paul, that JJ Reddick turned into a really nice player and nice piece for them, Jamal Crawford. They had the things they yeah. needed in place to to make a run at the you know, at least Western Conference Finals or NBA Finals, and they were never able to do it. So at this point, I mean I agree, even with all those guys I just mentioned, they were struggling to compete. So now it's like, I mean, what's the point?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I definitely view them as a disappointment, and some of it was timing, uh, you know, with the Warriors. You know, there was a time back when they and the Warriors had a really nice little rivalry for, like, a year and a half where they were kind of on the same level that first year the Warriors started to show who they were going to be. Yeah. And the Warriors just lapped them so quickly it didn't matter anymore. Um, And I just think that overall they're you know, the big three era of the Clippers, if you want to call it that, uh, you know, will be viewed as a disappointment. And it's a bummer because it's hurt Chris Paul's reputation, which uh, which always kind of irks me because I'm such a big fan of
1: his. I agree. I agree. So before we get into Chris Paul, let's talk for a second about DeAndre Jordan. Like I mentioned, you have an article up on Fansided. But what are some of the top two or three destinations where you see he'd be a good fit?
0: Well, I think the most interesting one is Cleveland. Um, I I mean, this this I didn't come up with on my own. I've been hearing little things here and there about it. Um, You know, they'd probably have to give up that Brooklyn pick to get him, though, which is really risky because they just, I feel like they, as an organization, don't have a real handle on what LeBron's thinking long term about whether he wants to stay or go. Um, and also I don't know how much Jordan helps them against the Warriors, which of course is the biggest concern for any team trying to compete is how are you going to match up with the Warriors? Are you going to have a shot against that juggernaut? And I personally don't think I would trade the Brooklyn pick cause it's sort of the safety net if LeBron leaves in a lot of ways, you know, it's not guaranteed to be a top three pick or anything, but it's, it's going to be a top 10 pick for sure. And, you know, you never know where those lottery balls are going to bounce. And there's some really good talent at the top of this draft. So I wouldn't do that personally. I think Milwaukee's an interesting destination. That's a team that's obviously going for it. They made the Bledsoe deal earlier this year. Giannis is, you know, an absolute beast. And you should try to compete as much as possible with him right now. He's just really entering his prime, which is super scary. They've really struggled on defense uh, ever since Jason Kidd's first season as coach. Which is weird. They've gotten worse through the past couple of years defensively, but bringing in Bledsoe and Jordan would give you two anchors, you know, on the outside and the interior, and you know, I think maybe that could get them into a place where they're where they're talking about at least the conference semifinals, you know, with with room to grow.
1: And you mentioned like someone like Jordan not being really a great fit against the Warriors, but what about the rest of the Eastern Conference? Would it give? you know, Milwaukee or Cleveland uh, a leg up on the rest of the Eastern Conference? Boston's obviously playing great ball. Do you think that someone like DeAndre Jordan can put him over the top in the Eastern Conference?
0: I think it's something at least worth having, at the very least, like internal discussions about and, and potentially reaching out to the Clippers to make some interest known. Uh, again, he can opt out of his contract after this season. It's not a lock that he'll do that because uh, he is set to make like $25 million next year, but... You know, I think he's not really my kind of player, but I do have respect for the skills that he does bring to the table. Um, You know, and he does know his limitations pretty well, which always needs to be the case with a guy who just really has no offensive game whatsoever. Um, And I think for Milwaukee, it's worth exploring more seriously than Cleveland uh, because I think Cleveland, I, I would feel... You know, they don't have Isaiah Thomas He's back yet, and I think they're playing excellent basketball right now. And I wouldn't be as worried about Boston if I were them as I would be the Bucks, who I don't think have a chance against Boston right now.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. It's a, it's a testament to how far the NBA has come and how much the Warriors' lineup of death, as they've called it, or small ball lineup, has really <laughs> sort of changed the way yeah. you make... You build a team from from start to finish right this like defensive rebounding center isn't quite as valuable as it was back in the you know Shaquille O'Neal days for example
0: yeah I mean or even like six years ago you know like uh you know Tyson Chandler was the kind of guy you really liked and and Jordan's very similar to him in a lot of ways and you know it's just kind of interesting how like You know, if if he went to the Cavs, let's say, and they were playing another game seven against the Warriors in the finals, he might not play in the fourth quarter at all.
1: Which is tough to do. Tough to make give up assets and pay a guy twenty five million a year to not play in the fourth quarter.
0: Exactly. and, And you know, they're probably feeling pretty confident about getting back to the finals as they are now. I mean, they're they're without the biggest piece they received. Uh, you know, in the Kyrie deal, and and they're looking pretty strong all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see which team makes the move if, if the Clippers do make it public that, you know, they, they're they looking to trade DeAndre and get some assets back. Um, it'll be, a, it'll yeah. be interesting kind of just like what is the state of the NBA right now and what is the value of those type of guys.
0: <laughs> if I had to guess, I would say that they'll trade Jordan and then they'll hold on to Blake, which... I think you got to go all or nothing, but I think they're going to be probably hit with a bunch of low ball offers for Blake and they value him more than most other teams because of what he's done for the popularity of that team, considering when they drafted him, how they were just kind of a nobody compared to the Lakers. And, you know, I think they're going to have a hard time feeling like they're going to get full value for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan goes and Blake stays in the end.
1: But either way, Lob City is definitely no more. It is <laughs> gone the way of Atlantis.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But let's go back to the sort of orchestrator, like we've said, of, of Lob City, Chris Paul. He's back in Houston. Mm-hmm. It's something that we talked about in our, in our preseason preview about, about each team and how Chris Paul and James Harden would fit together. So what are you seeing in some of the early returns since Chris Paul's been back?
0: Um I was a pretty big skeptic um with the I guess the fit you want to say with with uh with Harden in place but it looks like this team is just going to completely prove me wrong this season. Uh, Paul has looked really good um you know so far since he came back uh just he's not, he's looking to score less than ever, which is fine because they don't need that from him. You know, he's, he's had some really, really good assist games, you know, 14, 13s in there. And, you know, he's just letting Harden be the star of this team. And, uh, you know, it's Mike D'Antoni's plan was to have a hall of fame caliber point guard on the floor for 48 minutes a night. And it looks like that's actually going to work out pretty well. And, uh, I think if I was Golden State, I'd be a tiny bit worried about this Houston team. They look, I, I think they could give them some problems, ultimately fall short, but it's a really interest this will be a really interesting conference finals if it comes to that.
1: So you' and you're saying, Chris Paul, so let me ask you this question. Chris Paul, as he is in Houston, are you um, encouraged by what he's providing or are you disappointed?
0: I'm actually encouraged. Um, just more for the style of play and how well he's fit in there. Um, You know, he's had some rough shooting nights and stuff, but you know, he's coming off an injury. He's adjusting, but he's not taking away from Harden is really what I think I was worried about in some ways. And, and, you know, it's like, it's not that Dwayne Wade, LeBron first half of the Miami inaugural season where it was like, okay, you go, me go. And, And it just, it feels more fluid. It's, I think Chris Paul's just such an intelligent basketball player that he could fit into any system.
1: And you've got to give him credit. He's a future Hall of Famer who immediately recognized how you know, the team runs through Harden and how it's been so successful in running through Harden. And he's been willing to sort of you know, adjust his game to that reality. You've got to give the guy a lot of credit.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's averaging a shade over one turnover a game. And he's putting up more than 10 assists again. That's crazy. That's kind of insane. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and looking at Harden's numbers, I mean, before or after Paul's been on the court, man, it, that guy has, is doing some incredible things. I saw a stat the other day, I think it was like month of November, he put up like 59 points between like points per game and assists per game. He was like contributing wow. to 59 points a game for the for that team, which is just insane number. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems like he hasn't broken stride at all with uh, CP three returning to the lineup and stuff. And I don't know, like I, I'm not a huge fan of James Harden, like from a personal standpoint, but there's no denying how good of a player he is. I don't love his style of play, but he's pretty incredible. And I think this could be the year that he wins the MVP. Uh, I think he's been runner-up twice now, though. LeBron's making a push this year, and Harden could end up with a third runner-up potentially, which would be kind of funny.
1: Yeah, but I mean, after last year's—I feel like last year and any other year, if it weren't for Westbrook's triple-double, yeah—I feel like Harden would have been an MVP, and that was like a Herculean effort to get you know Westbrook above the above the line. And that's that's probably a discussion for a podcast on another day of, you know, front runner MVPs as we get further into the season, but certainly it looks like it's going to be Harden, LeBron and maybe Giannis as the, you know, the three guys kind of leading that pack all season.
0: Yeah, I think you're right on that.
1: All right, so we we've sort of talked about the Clippers blowing it up and starting over. So I I want to ask you about the team that has I guess you have to now say successfully done that, and that is the Sixers, right? there. you know, they've started the season really well. It's a team you and I discussed that, you know, a lot of things have to sort of go right in order for them to compete. Um, but let's, let's first talk about the Sixers in this season, in the 2017-2018 season. Are you seeing stuff that makes you a believer or are you still a little skeptical of this team?
0: Um... I'm still a little skeptical, but I'm certainly less skeptical uh, than I was when we did our preseason preview podcast. Um, I think uh, I'm still just a little worried about the health of their two best guys, more Embiid than Simmons, uh, just because of that, you know, track record. But, man, they do look pretty impressive, and the Eastern Conference is, you know, there's there's a few spots there up for grabs in the playoffs, even if you don't play that great. I think they're like the five seed right now, but um, you know, even if they end up as the seven, I think that would be probably better than I expected. So I uh, you know, I was trying to temper my expectations, but you know, it's, it hasn't just been the two, the two uh, you know, star guys. Uh, you know, like Robert Covington's playing, like, incredible basketball. Redick's been a nice addition. Dario Saric is playing, uh, you know, a lot like we kind of, ex- a lot of us expected, um, you know, when, when he uh, came over. And I don't know, I think they're definitely better than I thought, but I think maybe they're overperforming a tad right now.
1: Let me ask you about Ben Simmons. I think he's a super interesting player. Yeah. He basically just can't shoot, right? Like we can sort of start from that premise. And he's still putting up great numbers. Like, how is he able to make his way through the NBA without really having a good jump shot?
0: Well, this is going to sound a little ridiculous, but he's got a lot of LeBron in him. Um, his, his combination of size, speed and athleticism is, I mean, borderline ludicrous. And it, it's allowing him to operate without having any semblance of an outside game, uh, you know, at six, 10 30 with the kind of things he can do, uh, with his handle and, you know, just his quickness and, you know, it's also really nice and easy to see the floor at that height. And, you know, there's a reason he's averaging just mind boggling numbers across the board. You know, I think he might come down to earth a tiny bit, but I think this is—he's the real deal. Uh, I thought he'd win Rookie of the Year, and you know, he's running away with it, regardless of what Donovan Mitchell's doing in Utah. I—I'm so impressed by him. He's even better than I thought he'd be right out of the gate.
1: Yeah, it's so okay. So let's transition a little bit. Let's let's talk about the Sixers, sort of in retrospect here. And my question yeah. for you really is: Was it worth it? Is this really? the model for an NBA franchise that's trying to blow it up is, like, putting your fans through years and years of agony to get to the place where now they look like they're ready to compete? So, like, is this the model that other teams should be following?
0: Well, that's a little trickier now with the lottery reform. You know, the odds are going to change, and they're not going to be quite as good. I mean, it's still going to benefit you to get, uh, you know a bad record will have you having a better chance for a higher draft pick. That's never going to go away. Um, but I think, um, you know, looking at the percentages and everything, all kinds of math that I wouldn't be able to do. I wonder how it would trade change the way that a guy like Sam Hinkie might look at uh, his approach now with the, with the actual math being altered, uh, not this coming off season, but the following off seasons. But I still think like, within the framework that he was given when he was hired that it's, it's become evident that his vision like was valid. And, you know, he was made fun of quite a bit and the team was made fun of quite a bit, but no one's making fun of them now. And it's just a shame. I think that Hinky's not there to enjoy it himself.
1: But do you think that it doesn't just come down to a little bit of luck? Like the fact that Oak, um, Embiid was available at the third pick because of his injury history and that Simmons, they got the first pick and they were able to draft a guy like Simmons. Like, do we really have to tank and gather? I mean, I don't know how many first round, I'm trying to count the number of first round picks they've had in the last four years. It's two, four, five, seven picks in the last five years. Like, is it worth all of that gathering of assets for really what uh, kind of amounts to be two guys?
0: Well, I mean, it's crazy because you think about the picks that haven't worked. You know, we're we're talking about Michael Carter Williams. Nerlens didn't work out. Uh, Jaheel Okafor didn't work out. Markel Fultz is a disaster. That's a lot of misses. But they gave themselves so right. many swings that they hit two home runs. So they went... You know, they kind of went the old Adam Dunn approach at the plate. Hit two home runs and strike out four times. It's still pretty good.
1: Right. So, so are you saying then that let, let's assume no NBA lottery changes or draft lottery changes for a second. Is that the path you would follow is like just get up and get as many plate appearances as you can and hope that you hit those home runs? Or would it be to build and develop in other ways besides just solely based on the draft?
0: I think I personally would probably go for the latter there, uh, just because I feel like it's a little less volatile. Um, you know, I, but that might limit the ceiling of the success. You know, I'm a big fan of team building. I'm very interested in how to construct a roster, uh, and I always have been. Um, And I think I I would end up hedging my bets a little more than a guy like Hinky did. I mean, he constructed his model and he stuck to it. And, you know, the whole trust the process thing, like he believed in that wholeheartedly and unwaveringly. And I don't think I personally would be capable of doing it, uh, but I really admired how he was able to stay, you know, hold on what he believed in. I don't, It's just so risky, and you know your job is at stake, and obviously it cost him his job, even though it worked, which is kind of the craziest part.
1: Yeah, and you got to get the other thing is you have to get the top picks in the year where the talent is there, right? right? Because there's certainly years where even the first overall pick is a total bust. I can't even remember the right. name of the guy from UNLV that went first overall like three Anthony, or four years you ago. It. You read my mind. There I you was go. To
0: bring that up, yeah. <laughs> I know you have to hit on the right year, and uh, you know they did with Simmons, and then like you said, they got a lot of luck with Embiid because he was going number one if he didn't get hurt. Uh, you know, at Kansas, there was no question yep. he was going number one, um, and you know people were a little surprised they took him at three. Uh, so I don't know. I just, it's, it's a really interesting concept on whether you just, I mean, cause you either you're rolling the dice completely or, or not at all. That's, you know, but, but I would try to find some kind of middle ground, which might thwart my efforts though. It's just, it's hard to know.
1: Yeah. And it's true of every sport at this point, right? Like basketball is unique because it only takes one or two guys and you right. can, you know, push to the playoffs at least, right? Whereas, you know, in football, you're playing 22 people at a time on offense and defense. So it's, you know, one guy doesn't make quite the same impact, but still it's, it's, it's a question that's being tossed around throughout sports. You're seeing guys, I can't remember who the, um, I think the GM of the Mets is now the GM of the Browns or someone on yeah. the staff at the yeah. Mets is now GM of the Browns because they just had that right. like analytical mindset and they're, Kind of doing that trust the process type of approach. So it's not just the NBA that's sort of going through this um, quandary of whether to really blow it up and go for draft picks or to try to keep pushing with the assets that you have and and put the pieces around them to get to make them a contender. It's a it's a really interesting problem for GMs and owners to be to be facing over the next few years.
0: Yeah, I'll be really interested to see um, how the lottery change actually affects teams' approaches because I think. Without it, it might have, you know, especially with the Sixers' success this year, the timing is perfect for this, for the league, because they might have had, you know, a lot of copycat attempts going on after they saw, you know, this, this, I mean, it's kind of a meteoric rise all of a sudden for this Sixers team. I mean, you know, when the Sixers now go to a city, they're a big draw. Joel Embiid is one of the most popular players in the league already.
1: Yeah. It's amazing how far they've come from, like truly one of the worst teams maybe in history. I remember there was right. a few years yeah. there; they were like they were competing for worst record ever in the NBA. And, yeah, I mean know, it was an
0: annual thing essentially, and now now I mean, I it's just even with all the whiffs, Like I said, bolts. I mean, will remains to be seen. But guys like Ogafor, you know, he he'll be gone before the trade deadline for sure. Um, Carter Williams rookie of the year but it was an empty stats year and uh yep. Nerlands is gone so those were all you know high picks with a lot of hope for this uh you know team but the, I think I think they knew though that there's just going to be whiffs because no matter how much we analyze these kids in college or overseas you just don't know you know uh if they if you reheld the draft from just this past uh year things would go differently already, you know, we're a quarter of the season in and we already have like, oh, we're like, oh, this would go way different. It's, it's
1: amazing. Yeah, for sure. It's a, that's probably also a good topic for another podcast is like, how do you sort of, which types of guys are are able to make that transition from the college game to the, to the big show? Like it is even the most professional scouts sometimes get it totally wrong. It's not just like, you know, GMs make surprise picks. It's like the consensus is one way, and it just doesn't pan out. And it's, sometimes it's super hard to predict. Obviously,
0: yeah, it's like uh, identifying a reliable thing to focus on with draft prospects still doesn't really exist in twenty seventeen. That's kind of insane.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. I know we're we're running out of time here. So um, speaking of, you know scouting guys in the NBA, I think we can all agree that LeBron James was kind of destined and here he is now, whatever it is, 14 years and 13 years, 12 years into his career, something like that. And Cleveland was off to a really rough start. But you you and I discussed in the podcast, like whichever team has LeBron James on the roster is probably going to be looking really good. So you know, they've, they've reeled off, I think 10 or maybe even 11 straight here. And so what, what's your take on the on the Cavs about a quarter of the way through the year?
0: Yeah, um, I believe it is 11 straight now. And it's just, I feel like <laughs> we live in this sports society now where we just overreact to stuff so much. Like, you know, the New England Patriots go one and one to start the season and everybody's wondering if <laughs> Brady's lost it or Belichick's lost it. I mean, it's the same kind of thing with, with a guy, with any team that has LeBron, like pump the freaking brakes, man. Like, you know, don't don't be fooled by, the, by this aberration. If they had this rough stretch in February, nobody would care. You know, That's... they're just like ah, a little bit of a slump here, no big deal, they're fine. But you know, and and LeBron's a pretty polarizing player, so there are a decent amount of people out there looking for him to fail. So. That's going to skew people's opinions, whether they know it or not, or admit it or not. And I think now we're seeing is LeBron is just like, all right, forget it. I'll put this team on my back offensively. They're improving a little bit on defense. They still got a ways to go on that end. But, you know, they still don't have who is probably going to end up being their second best player. They They haven't even had him for a minute of court time yet this year. I mean, can we just please wait? and i think by the end we'll find that you know they're going to be the best team in the conference
1: i had the exact same thought today when i was thinking about the this cleveland team and in in terms of the you know because it's the first 7 games of the season it's really noticeable that they're 3 and 4 or something like that but if they have right. a 3 and 4 stretch you know in january no one's even going to notice and it's like it, yeah. again all sports are like that it's just the way yeah. that people react to like Oh, it's a new team, it's a new situation, so maybe this is the real how it's gonna be. But you know, we all know that with LeBron on the team, he's gonna do what he needs to do to get him into the top one or two seeds in the conference.
0: Right. And and like you said though, the whole like new team, new situation thing that made people doubt them is what should make you not worry about it also because it's an adjustment period, man. They're just getting used to this dynamic. They moved, they switched around the starting lineup a bunch. And, you know, it's going to take a little time. And the heat looked like crap. And then they went to four finals. Like, everybody's just got to relax a little with these, these instant reactions, you know. Like, give it some time. And, you know, you've never been served. No one's ever been served by reacting immediately and harshly, you know, <laughs> in any, pretty much anything in your life. You don't want to make decisions that way. So that's not how you make accurate assessments. And, yeah. They Everyone like needs the
1: crap. hot take.
0: It is. It's the hot take era, and it's slowly killing my soul.
1: <laughs> all right, all right. So, um, last last topic on the agenda for, for today is the Detroit Pistons, and mm-hmm. it's funny because our our discussion earlier I think is relevant here. Right? We talked about DeAndre Jordan being a, you know kind of an, a weird, interesting piece in the modern NBA. And so Detroit is sort of built around a very similar construct with their, you know, big guy in the center. So do you think this is that the Pistons are are for real, or are they just, like, off to the hot start that maybe people wouldn't notice if it happened in January and they were already a middling team?
0: Yeah, I think it's the second one. Um, I think we're starting to see the cracks forming in the wall a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think... This is not a team that added a whole lot. I like Avery Bradley. He's not actually having a very good season, so this makes even less sense to me. And I know Tobias Harris is playing the best basketball's career. He's a player, actually, I, I do like quite a bit, even though he's sort of not the style of player I usually like. But either they think he's going to shoot 47% from three for the rest of the season? You know, he's not that guy. He's never been that guy. <laughs> I think he's like a career thirty-five percent shooter. Like, it just doesn't happen like that. And and Drummond is, he's really good. He's he's a kind of a better version of DeAndre Jordan in some ways. Um, and he's still only twenty-four, but he is who he is. We know who he is. This guy's not going to start dropping twenty-four points a night ever. You know, he's he's a monster on the boards. Um, you know, I. I still think he's an overrated defender just because he can make up for mistakes, mental lapses and stuff with his insane athleticism and size. But I think this is another team that's just going to fade just like the magic did. Uh, they've, they've already faded so hard after their hot start. You know, I think the Pistons might be a playoff team in one of the last like two seeds, but I don't see them finishing any better than that.
1: Yeah. I, I, I mean, they're currently, the, Season ended today. They're fourth in the Eastern Conference, but yeah, it, it does seem like there's no real reason. You can't point to one thing that's like, oh yeah, this is what they did and this was the result. that is so much more positive than it was before. So this just seems like, you know, it's probably like we were talking about one of those hot streaks that just happened to come in the beginning of the season. So it looks great in the standings, but is going to be sort right. of law of average is going to kick in here eventually.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at their point differential, they're, it's only plus two. I mean, they're they're averaging 105 and giving up 103. That's nothing really to be, like, wowed by. And, you know, they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, and I think they're coming back down to earth uh, already. And, you know, like I said, a, a, one of the last playoff seats seems attainable, but I don't see a reason to have, like, some renewed faith in this team all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, Morgan, I think that, that's going to wrap it up for the day. Before before we close, we want to introduce one new segment for the listeners, recurring segment for listeners that we're going to do at the end of each podcast. And that's just one random thought. And so this is an opportunity. Morgan is covering the NBA regularly and, you know, kind of is seeing all the, all the news ins and outs. And we want to hear from you. What's your one random thought on the NBA that you think is relevant at the moment?
0: Yeah, so, I mean – as far as relevant goes, it might not be that relevant, but it, it fits with the randomness thing because this is such an under the radar thing. Uh, is that Tyus Jones is actually really good at basketball, which is <laughs> something I didn't really know heading into this season. And I have a bit of an anti Duke bias, uh, so maybe that was part of it. But, um, you know, Jeff Teague missed some time for the Timberwolves over the last week or so. And Tyus Jones played really, really good basketball um, on both ends of the court. And I think he might be a lot better than, uh, than most people realize. And this could be a guy that has an actual potential to be a starter down the road. Um, you know, he's only 21 years old. Uh, he was a first-round pick, uh, and he played at an elite program. And, uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau is going to bury him on the bench like he does with all the young guys because he loves to run his starters for 90 minutes a night. But, you know, I, this is a guy that I keep an eye on. And I think it's someone that, you know, some people might be just going, who? I,
1: I mean, I had to Google him. I didn't know even what team <laughs> he was on.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I figured I'd start the one random thing off with of something super random.
1: That's pretty good. You went pretty deep for that one. I'm, I, I gotta tell you, I'm pretty abreast.
0: Yeah, they're not, they're not all gonna be that deep, but I, let's ho- hopefully we'll get some more relevant ones as we going forward.
1: I like the randomness. Hey, we gotta be different. There's enough ESPNs <laughs> and Fox Sports out there covering the day-to-day stuff. Let's be random. Wildcard.
0: That's true. <laughs> Wildcard. I cut the brakes. Tyus Jones. <laughs>
1: Well, I think that wraps it up for this week, listeners. Thank you um, for tuning in. I want to ask one, one thing of each of our listeners is make sure you, you like us on uh, whatever platform you find us. This is the Done Deal podcast. We're on Apple. We're on uh, – what other podcast platform are we on, Morgan? Uh,
0: SoundCloud. And you can get us on the podcast app on your phone and stuff. Yeah, That's Pretty much all the, all the big ones.
1: But just give us a like if you're, if you're liking what you hear on the, on the podcast. It'll help others find um, and listen to us. And that's it for this episode of The Done Deal. It's good to be back, Morgan.
0: Good to have you back, David. It's much better to have a heart on this.
1: <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you next time.
0: All right. Thanks, bud. Thank you for listening to The Done Deal Podcast.